Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock episode number 25 for Thursday, December 13th, 2018. I'm your co-host, Ken Gagney. And I'm Sabriel Mastin. Hello, Sabriel. How are you? Hello, Ken. Uh, well, I'm dizzy, but <laughs> <laughs> that's unrelated to Star Trek this week. Are you sure it's not just that the latest Star Trek left you dizzy? It could, no, it definitely did not do that. Or you're just dizzy <laughs> with the deluge of all the new Star Trek content that's coming in the next year? Uh, that would be great. I wish it was that. But yes, that is an exciting <laughs> bit of news, too. And we got a bunch of, well, I don't, I don't want to say a bunch of news. We got some news since we last talked. But how titillating to live in a world where in every episode of Transporter Lock, there is Star Trek news. We lived for so long without anything new to discuss. After Enterprise went off the air in 2005, there were no new TV shows for over a decade, no new movies for several years, and now there's just Star Trek news bursting at the seams everywhere you turn. Yeah, for quite some time, all it was was uh, when someone died from the original series. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> Or sad. who guessed it on. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, there wasn't much for quite a while. <laughs> yeah. I just hope that we're not going into a Star Trek bubble that's going to burst because they oversaturate the market. Uh, this isn't Star Wars. <laughs> well played. <laughs> All right, so we are going to be talking about the third and the penultimate short treks, that being the brightest star. But let's start with the news that we are talking about. And what is that news, Captain Sabriel? Well, we have some new news on the new Captain Picard. I don't know if I say Captain, but we have a new stuff on the Picard series that's coming out. It uh, looks like they are aiming to have it released by the end of next year, uh, I guess 2019. So, you know, maybe next week we could have a new Picard series. By the end of calendar year 2019, <laughs> we will have a new Picard series. I suspect that if Discovery is doing this thing where it debuts in January and runs through like March or April, then the two shows will not be overlapping, kind of like TNG did with DS9 and DS9 did with Voyager. Yeah, I, I don't think they'll do that. However, speaking of that, there is going to be another extra episode or two of Discovery. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up the trolley. This is news to me. What have I missed? Yeah, you just reminded me when we were talking about... Uh, Season length. Like, oh, yeah, I remember reading they added a few more episodes of Discovery. So how long was season two going to be and how long is it now? Uh, it was originally going to be 13 episodes and they're adding one more. So we have one more uh, Discovery goodness. Well, OK, that's not a significant growth. I was kind of hoping that, you know, you know, when I was a kid and a show debuted in September and ran through May with a few reruns in between, it would be 21 to 22 episodes per season. And that's still sometimes what you get. Like, I'm working my way through season four of The Flash right now, and I think there are maybe 26 episodes in that season. So 13 to 14, okay, that's cool. I guess maybe they had a little bit more extra narrative than they could fit, but it's not really like they're changing up the ball game and saying, oh my gosh, we're going to take this thing places you've never seen. Season one is so successful, we're going to expand season two even more. You know, I'm okay with not overdoing it. I am currently on season 11 of my Frasier, Frasier rewatch, and uh, there's a lot of filler. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I stopped watching Frasier in 2000, around the time that Niles married Daphne. I felt like that's when they jumped the shark. That season, 
was a very weak 10 11 good stuff oh it got better yeah dang maybe i should get back into it <laughs> you will actually see tons of trek alumni i was joking online that uh, i could tell when deep space nine and voyager ended because those actors started appearing on Th- fraser <laughs> all they needed to do was get scott bacula's autograph they even referenced enterprise <laughs> yes we had i've seen uh renee abergenois uh nana visitor who played kira and let's see we just had um uh, patrick stewart in the season or, or or last season here playing uh very gay man who runs an opera house and he was dating Fraser when Fraser did not know it. Oops. <laughs> I can see how that would be problematic. <laughs> so I think that's all the Star Trek news we have. Shall we get into this week's short treks? That being the brightest star? I suppose we may as well. Uh, <laughs> you can kind of get an idea of what we thought about this episode. Were you disappointed by it? Not disappointed. It was just fine. It was fine. Yeah, I felt like it was the least substantial of the three short treks we've had so far. I, for the first time, did not feel the need to rewatch it because I don't think I missed anything. Yeah, I was going to. I just didn't take the time out to do it, <laughs> which is the first time it's happened to me. I've watched every single thing we've uh, listened to or talked about twice. Yeah, I had the time. I had the opportunity. I did not have the inclination because I felt like, okay, this is a story of young Saru on his home planet and how they are a pre-warp civilization that is being harvested by some alien race and whose technology young Saru uses to send a beacon that gets him picked up by the Federation. The end. Yeah. I mean, we started off with uh, Kelpians uh, harvesting kelp. Is that really why they're called that? I don't know, but it sure seems a little too on the nose. <laughs> I know. When, when they open with that, I'm like, oh, come on. This, you, uh, really? Okay. Well, the way that Saru had talked about his race before, where it sounded like they were always running from something, it sounded like they were always being invaded. We didn't really, it just, it, I always had the notion, that feeling. And I didn't get that here. Here, they're all just like, we expect to die from these people who come to take our lives away. All right. We don't see that fear fear thing, that, you know, the threat ganglia. Right. My understanding from what he had told his shipmates was that there were two races on this planet, or so I thought. I thought there was predator and prey. Yeah. But it seems like there's really only one native species on this planet. Yeah, and it's that it basically they all feel that trope of, well, guess I'll go die now. <laughs> right, just like Logan's run. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it seemed like to me, where they just all kneel down and they're happy to maintain the balance, although it's not explained by anybody how them sacrificing themselves does that. We don't see what the consequences or repercussions are of anybody denying or resisting this process. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad. Okay, so so part of the story is Saru found that technology and he was supposed to dispose of it, but he never did. He figured out how it worked. Well, um... I'm glad they didn't go with the trope of, oh, my religious dad found out. Now he's going to kick me out of the house. Uh, they did not go there. I appreciated that. What, what voice was that? That you just, what, what was this that? This is my stupid guy voice who always does stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I have to remember that you have that trick in your hat. Oh, yeah. This is why Twitter or when I play video games uh, happens a lot. <laughs> See, I have never played Overwatch with you. Maybe I should. <laughs> Oh, look at me. I'm doing fist. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so you mentioned that Saru used this alien technology to send a beacon. My question, of which I have several, is 
how did he know that that's what he was doing? Like, as far as he knew, since this was a pre-warp, very non-technological society, how did he know he hadn't just reconfigured it to flash lights? We really don't know. Uh, we don't know how he knew that. Maybe he did not know he knew that. Uh, he was just, he took, he somehow, he, I mean, he was a very smart man who was able to reverse engineer this thing over time. We don't know how long he was doing it. Just that he was able to kind of figure it out and he pushed a button and something happened. Right, but the idea that there is this invisible signal being sent beyond the skies, there was no feedback that I could see that would tell him that's what was happening. Yeah, no, uh, we don't know. <laughs> and the other thing is that he was very resistant to the idea of this sacrifice. We saw him talking back to his father and suggesting that there might be an alternative. And this is a trope that I've seen several times, including in novels by R.A. Salvatore, where there is this one character who's being raised in a culture where everybody is thinking the same way. It's rather hom homo it's rather homogeneous. And yet, for some reason, this one character doesn't subscribe to that culture, that society's beliefs. He has this external sense of morality and context without it being imparted to him by any of his teachers, his mentors, his parents, his siblings, just on his own, he comes to the conclusion that everybody around him is wrong. And we don't have any reason why such a person would come to that conclusion. Yeah, we didn't get much of a motive other than he's questioning. I mean, that's fine enough on its own, but we don't see what made him question. Right. A lot of people inherit their political beliefs or their religious beliefs from their parents because they're not taught to question these things. And we can see from Saru's father that he too is not being taught to question things. And yet he does. So I wonder, where did he get that from? I mean, there might be uh, basically atheist groups that meet up somewhere and discuss things that we just didn't see. <laughs> it's possible. It's entirely possible. I don't know. Let's talk about that technology a bit, the Logan's Run tech that makes all the Kelpians just disappear. Do we have any theories as to what it is doing or why? Uh, well, we know it's some kind of alien race affecting them because a comment Giorgio mentioned towards the end. I don't remember the race off the top of my head, but it's one we never heard of before. Uh, I'm guessing they just beam them up or something. But we don't know what. So you think that they're still alive out there somewhere? At least temporarily. Huh. So this is some sort of a, a transporter or some sort of a gateway or something. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that alien race is the Ba'ul, B-A-apostrophe-U-L. It is not a race we have ever seen or heard from elsewhere in Star Trek lore, so this is completely new. And we don't know what their motives are or what their goal is, but yeah, for some reason they are harvesting Kelpians. Who knows? Maybe they're delicious. <laughs> well, apparently they are. <laughs> in the Mirror Universe. I mean, I'm sure the flavor is the same. <laughs> But that's it. But that's just it. It's the mirror universe. Everything is the opposite. So maybe in this universe, they're disgusting. No, it could be uh, sweet instead of savory. Sour. Or <laughs> yes, I'm sure that's exactly what it is. Like in one mirror, in one universe, you might want Kelpian for breakfast. In the other, hmm, more of a dinner meal. Right. And in some places, you like you could have go, go for either. <laughs> like waffles. This feels wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Blame the mirror universe. Yes, that's what we'll do. Maybe this is Mirror Sabriel. Is that who I'm talking to well, we right now? We're in the mirror universe after political events. Dude, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, this is an audio podcast. I can't see if you have a goatee right now. 
No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. What else did you notice about this episode? Uh, towards the end, just that Georgiou made a comment of, um, she made some kind of comment about how the, she knew that these aliens were doing something with the planet. So that means the Federation knows and they appear to be doing nothing. And that means the Federation might see it as the natural course of events. I actually got some listener feedback on that point from listener Andy, hello, about why the Federation is okay letting other alien civilizations violate the Prime Directive. And I have a theory about that, but it sounds like you're asking the same question. I mean, similar, but I mean, I don't have no problem. I have, I have no problem with other races or other non-Federation entities not following Federation rules. <laughs> like, it's their own thing. Uh, this might not even be Federation federation space at the time right that's my thinking as well that if a non-federation species is interfering with the development of another non-federation species then in a way that is the natural course of things and it's not the federation's place to interfere yeah as much as it sucks who's to say they might make a case for doing it but i mean we just don't know enough to what we don't know. I mean, it's really no different from the Federation refusing to intervene in the Cardassian occupation of Bajor. Yeah, that sucks too. Yeah, we never saw in the seven seasons of Deep Space Nine, Bajor actually joined the Federation. They petitioned for the Federation's help after the occupation was over to rebuild their society and run the space station. But even that amount of help, I think, was limited. So I assume that a similar principle is at work here that allows this alien race to harvest the Kelpians without the Federation giving a lick. <laughs> it sucks to be able to say that. <laughs> but it is what it is. Right. You know, it's a non-interference policy for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet, Lieutenant Georgiou made an exception. Yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate that she went to that work. Like, we got this alien who figured out alien technology to talk to us. This alien now is polluted by the knowledge that there are other races out there. Uh, let's take him in. And the Federation's like, I don't know. And George, I was like, please. And they're like, okay. But he can't go home ever. Okay. <laughs> I think it's a terrible idea. To take him in? Yeah. Okay. Why? I don't think it's any different from what Data did in the Next Generation episode, Pen Pals. I mean, he communicated with a pre-warp civilization to save this one person from, what was it, volcanic activity? And Picard dressed him down for that because that was not something he was supposed to do. Imagine if he had taken it a step further and not only communicated with and helped this alien, but also, oh, abducted her onto the Enterprise forever. And I realize abduction is a strong word here. That's not what happened with Saru. But still, it just doesn't seem like something the Federation would do. Well, it's also 150 years later. Right, with TNG. And of course, Kirk would break all sorts of prime directives just 10 years after Discovery. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But my other concern is... Saru is very clearly technologically advanced compared to his peers on his home planet. He, if he had stayed on that planet, could have helped drive the progress and evolution of that species. Imagine if there was some sort of like an alien federation who was monitoring Earth, and when they saw Aristotle or Galileo or Einstein and said, you are very clearly far more advanced than your peers, we're going to take you with us and off your planet. That would dramatically impact the evolution of our society. Yes, but they also gave Saru a choice. The Federation did. They didn't just take him. They gave him the choice. Right, but even th they, they gave him a choice to keep the, his 
planet's civilization at its current level by not participating in it. And if, could they have even let him go back at that point now that he knew that there were aliens out there? Well, that's the pro- that's one of the other problems. Uh, let him go back and know that there are more people out there and you can never talk to them again. Or you want to stay in your sheltered little world where no one will let you question the beliefs uh, you've tried. And, and, and where you'll probably be deemed insane for believing that you talked to an alien that came down from a ship. And you'll prob- probably be beamed away <laughs> within a few years. Right. Uh, to be eaten or whatever. To maintain the balance. Yeah. So right. chance of no life and people who won't listen to you or you know there's more out there. You want to explore the more. I mean, we saw it with... Um, What's your name in Star Trek Four? Voyage Home. The gal who ran the uh, the Cetacean Institute's uh, whale exhibit. Oh, yeah. The doctor from uh, Seventh Heaven. Mm-hmm. That's right. Who was um, married to terrible man who was also Commodore Decker. That's right. He is or a terrible man. Commander Decker, whatever it was. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, we do have these instances where people are pulled out of time and place by the Federation, and they allow it. I mean, I'm almost willing to give Kirk a pass because that's his M.O. It's what he does, <laughs> you know. But Captain Georgiou, lieutenant at this time, seems a little bit more by the book. And I'm just surprised that she would petition for an exception and that the Federation would grant it. Well, maybe we'll learn more in season two. You can't keep using that as an excuse. We really don't know. We really don't know if these are just going to be unrelated stories or if they all tie in somehow. Maybe we'll see this Baku or Baloo or whatever the race it was. <laughs> Uh, yes, it's the bear from the Jungle Book. Yeah, harvesting the kelpians. Those bear necessities. It's the bear necessities. <laughs> the bear necessities. There, that's my bear voice to go with your angry dad voice. <laughs> we we can take this show on the road. I don't think so, Ken. <laughs> no, that's too bad. All right. No, my point is that we need to come to conclusions based on the information available to us at this time, and we we. We'll never know until it airs what the next season of Discovery might bring. For example, in TNG, one of the last or second to last seasons, there was that episode where the Enterprise itself became sentient and ejected some sort of mass from itself that we believe was like an early artificial intelligence. Remember that? Mm -hmm. We just talked about it last episode. But we never found out what happened to it. I was convinced it was going to show up in some Star Trek spinoff. It would have been perfect in Voyager. And so I kept waiting and waiting for something to happen to tie that loose thread. And it never did. We get so many loose threads, though. I know, but that one in particular annoyed me. And I just feel like we can't wait for something that may never come. We need to judge it based on the here and now. I mean, by the end of season two, I'm all for saying, ah. <sighs> But at the end of the season two, you'll say, oh, maybe it'll be in season three. Nah. But then I'll be like, if it is, it is. <laughs> I mean, we Fair never enough. saw the bluegills evolve. Those are the season one aliens from Conspiracy and Next Generation. They were building up to them. They turned them to be the Borg, but that was not the intent. But we did see them in the novels. Yeah, that wasn't uh, canon. True, but it was pretty awesome when they showed up. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I mean, we got plenty of loose ends. Yeah. Whatever happened to Moriarty and his little hologram? Uh, oh, that cube is just sitting on a shelf somewhere. <laughs> but maybe he got smarter and smarter. He went back in time and created the Borg. Maybe he went and joined the, uh, the what the heck was it? The child light or whatever it's called. The Voyager hologram ship. I don't know. These are all possible. We just don't know. Yeah, see? I know. We could easily equip Moriarty with a mobile emitter 
and send him out into the world. And have him take over. <laughs> He'd be the next Khan. <laughs> oh, gosh. What if Khan and Moriarty teamed up? Oh, Lordy. <laughs> but anyway. Call it Khaniati? No. Khaniati. Morian? Morian, yes. Yeah, just call him a moron. <laughs> <laughs> like, hmm, you need to rethink that. So, <laughs> anyway. So that's our discussion on The Brightest Star. <laughs> yeah, anything what else to say about The Brightest Star? <laughs> I, I'm, I, I think I'm done here. Do you have anything else? I don't really. That kind of bums me out. <laughs> like, I wanted, I was, I was, I don't want to stay on, like, on the edge of my seat waiting to find out what happened, uh, why Saru is the way he is, or his people. But just like, I wish we could have gotten more time there. I wish the start trucks weren't always 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, maybe something like that. Like, I just feel like we didn't get, I wish just a little bit more. And it wasn't the, it's not the, I want a little bit more that makes you excited to watch more. It's just the, I want a little bit more because they didn't give me enough. But on one hand, isn't it better for something to be too short than to be too long? I don't know. I think we talked about this too. If think about, I think we talked about this on the first short track. It's like, it just felt like they were just missing a scene or two or a line or two that would have made it better, made it more complete. True, but the fact that you're left wanting more nah, suggests that what was there was good. No, that's what I was just saying. Like, it didn't want make me wanting more. It made me want more. Or maybe it's the other way around. <laughs> like, like, it made me feel like they, it was incomplete instead of wanting more. I see. Okay, that's, that is an important distinction. That is valid. Okay. So you felt like the brightest star, similar to, what was the first one? The escape no, artist? Runaway? The, the no. runaway, yeah. That it was incomplete. You, you feel both of those are incomplete. Yeah. And this one more than the runaway. Hmm. But just like a moment more. It just felt too short of a trek. Hmm. Give me like a couple extra steps. So the only complete short trek we've actually seen so far is Calypso. Yeah, that one is really good. Which is surprising to me because... Well, maybe it's not surprising once I think about it, because Calypso was the densest short trek, in my opinion. I feel like there was a lot happening there, and they fit it all in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we learn, uh, we meet a new character, we learn his backstory, we meet another new character, learn her backstory, which dates back a thousand years. We see how the two of them interact, and how their relationship evolves, and then how they part ways. And that all happened in like 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and here, just here's Saru mining or like grabbing kelp. He finds an alien <laughs> thing. Oh, he's going with them. Okay, bye. <laughs> right. You know, like at the beginning of our transporter lockabout runaway, I gave the TLDR version, and you kind of scoffed and said, Wow, that was a little too short, Ken. When I gave the abridged version of The Brightest Star, there weren't any objections because we didn't miss anything. That was it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's nothing gained unless there's some context, unfortunately, that we have to wait for later in the season. There was, I feel like there was nothing gained by this short track. Yeah, I feel like this could have been a six-page comic book. Yeah, like, there's nothing wrong with it. It's fine. I didn't hate it. It's just not worth the $10 this month. <laughs> right. And you know, that's the argument I always make is that any Star Trek is better than no Star Trek. Like, there is some bad Star Trek, like sh- like Shades of Grey, but those are the exception, not the rule. And I would say that The Brightest Star, it was not bad Star Trek. It was not Shades of Grey Star Trek. But, like you said, if you're subscribing to CBS All Access just for this, this month was a bad month to be a subscriber. Yeah. Thankfully, you can watch other great shows like... uh 
I can't think of any CBS shows. Murphy Brown. <laughs> Can you watch Frasier? Uh, no, I don't know. I, I watch Frasier on Netflix. Is Frasier a CBS? Uh, I don't know. Yes, it is. Okay, see, run by CBS, aired on NBC, similar to Cheers and Wings. and. Mm, you can watch all those on CBS All Access. But why bother? You can have no ads <laughs> on Netflix. What would be cool is if, as you're going through the back catalog of Star Trek episodes available on CBS All Access, that at the end of the episode, it would pop up and say, if you liked this guest star, they also showed up in this episode of Frasier. Click here to watch. <laughs> yeah, I, I just saw Timison, who was on, who was the race on TNG that once you hit 60, you just commit suicide uh, because you just do. Lexwana had trouble with this. Yeah, he was on Frasier. Everyone thought, or Roz thought maybe he Timison was Frasier's dad because they acted exactly the same. And of course, Kelsey Grammer was the captain on the TNG episode Cause and Effect. Yeah, he was uh, a Bates, Batesman on the... Yep. It wasn't the yo, 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 what was the ship? The Bozeman. That's right. Yeah. He was Captain Morgan. <laughs> How fitting. That's a great episode. Go back and watch that one instead of instead of the short truck. Yeah, just watch it over and over and over. <laughs> you know, if I recall my memory beta correctly, I think Captain Morgan Bateson was the original intended captain of the NCC 1701E before Picard. I don't know that much of the beta canon. Yeah, I think it was just a short story, and I don't remember why he didn't get the role in the end. And of course, this is not like trying to cast Kelsey Grammer. This is just a yeah. short story that was written only. And and it's a short story that came out years after TNG went off the air. But yeah, they really tried to shoehorn him in to uh, the TNG canon. I think after the I think after D exploded, Picard was ready to retire, and they were going to give Bateson the next Enterprise. And then Picard is like, "Nope, I'm good for one more tour of duty." <laughs> because uh, I'm Doctor Fraser. I mean, Doctor Captain. <laughs> right, Morgan Bates. Doctor, it is Doctor Strange, but who am I to judge? Okay. And we have one more episode of Short Treks coming out on January third, the first Thursday of the month, as always, and it will be the Escape Artist. And this one will star Rain Wilson returning as Harry Mudd. Yeah, I, I'm all for more Harry Mudd. Yeah, and I believe that is the one written by Michael Chabon of The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, as we've discussed before. And he also wrote or is writing some of the Picard series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this should be exciting. It'll be our first taste of his script writing in the Star Trek universe, which might give us a hint of what kind of quality to expect from the Picard series. But don't let us down. <laughs> no, and don't you, listener, let us down. Be sure to stay tuned to more Transporter Lock. You can find us at transporterlock.com, where you can also like and subscribe. And those iTunes reviews, if you want to leave one, do help other listeners find us, because there are a lot of Star Trek podcasts podcast out there and of course ours is the best one but nobody will know it unless you leave that five-star review you can also find us anywhere that podcasts are hosted we recently added the show to radio public and we've added even more outlets since then so just let me rattle them off you can find transporter lock at itunes stitcher google play music mixcloud spoke overcast acast pocketcast Castbox, TuneIn, and radio public if there is, for some reason, some outlet out there that our show is not on, then I don't know how you're listening to us, but feel free to leave a comment about where else you'd like to find Transporter Lock. Any closing remarks, Captain Sabriel? Have mercy. <laughs> there is no mercy for you, Sabriel. You don't get that reference if you ever go back and watch Full House. Otherwise... No, I don't get it. 
<laughs> Otherwise, no. I have no other comments other than don't get CBS All Access until, until the new season begins. Which will be on January 17th. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. 